Hello and welcome to If Anyone Cares. My name is Riley James. We are so thankful you decided to listen to us today, whether you've been listening for a long time or if this is your first show. I am just immensely, eternally grateful that you decided to listen to us, even if it's just once. To just one listen among the listens. You still took time to listen to the show, and it means a great deal to me. We got a good one for you today. Bridget Case is an individual. As my phone is going off, it is 10:30 p.m. Central Standard Time on Tuesday, November 5th. My phone has just been going off today, all day. It's it's been nonstop. Nevertheless, Bridget Case, ex NFL cheerleader, ex cheerleader for the University of Oregon has a brilliant podcast called After Orange Slices available. Uh, same place you can get this podcast. It, it, it's a brilliant show. And I say that with all sincerity. Not just because she was a guest on the show. I would listen to that show in my free time. I probably will listen to that show in my free time from now on. That is just a, a great concept, great show, brilliantly done. So, shout out to her. That is just good. It's good quality content, but we talk about a lot of different things. Her time as a cheerleader, her time at the University of Oregon, her master's degree from USC. If it was weird going to a different Pac-12 school. Spoiler alert, it was not weird for her. I think it'd be a little bit weird for me. But that's just a difference in opinion. I'm very excited for you to listen to the show. Well, we have to run through some oblig- <laughs> some uh, obligatory things that I'm required to say. You can find the show iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. You can follow the show on Twitter at Riley James IAC. You can that's my Twitter account. You can follow the show's Twitter account at if anyone cares underscore. You can follow me at Riley James IAC on Instagram and Twitter. We're just so thankful for you. We say it every week. I say it in the open every week. We're so thankful for you. I don't know why you listen, but you do. And it just, it's really cool. So thank you for that. Usually I get all, you know, go down a little tangent, but just going to keep it simple this week. Never really know what to say to you guys, but thank you. We love you. With all, with all sincerity, with all, um, everything that we can, everything that, that fills us, we love you. So, Keep on listening. Keep on enjoying it. Send it to some friends. It's Thanksgiving season. Send it to that f- a really annoying friend that's plays Christmas music right now. That annoying friend that just blasts Christmas music. And if you're that friend, don't be that friend. Start playing Christmas music at the allotted time. The earliest you can play Christmas music. As I struggle through a yawn. The earliest you can play Christmas music is Black Friday. The acceptable time for me to start playing Christmas music is December 1st. That's just me. Do what you want, but don't do that. I'm really excited. Here's the interview with Bridget Case. For Bridget Case. I'm Riley James. I already did this at the end, but you're going to hear it again because I like it a lot. 
great tagline. Great way to end shows. Great way to segment or segues to different segments. For Bridget Case, I'm Riley James. If anyone cares. On the line today is a different guest. She She's the best thing to come out of Oregon since Marcus Mariota. She is an NFL cheerleader for the San Diego Chargers. And she's worked various sporting events as a broadcast journalist. She's done everything, and we're going to talk about it a lot today. Her name's Bridget Case. Thank you so much for joining the show. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Thanks for the wonderful introduction. It, there's a lot of things in your bio, so we're just going to keep it short and expand on it. There's yeah, so many okay, places I can go. Yeah. Um, first off, I want to talk about this Oregon thing. So, okay. you went to the University of Oregon. Mm-hmm. I'm a very big advocate for the University of Oregon. I have been since I was eight years old. Um, being a, a, on the on the on the sidelines when you were that team was fantastic. Rose oh, Bowls, yeah. national championship games, like they were, they were good. They were nationally relevant. So, were you aware of how good the football team was, or what? What made you go to the University of Oregon? Yeah, I I mean, obviously most people don't do this, but I chose to go there and, and try out for that team because I wanted to be somewhere where the football team was, um, you know, nationally, a nationally well-known program, but I didn't know. So my freshman year was the 2010 season. So that was the first year that we went to the national championship. So I, I had no idea that it was, that that was going to happen, Um I just thought, you know, like, oh, maybe a Rose Bowl, you know, we'd be in the top 10. And of course, this is way before, you know, the college football playoff era started. Um, So it's, yeah, it was an interesting decision because it was between Oregon and UT, Texas, um, who at the time, you know, was playing pretty well. And obviously, like I had always thought, dreamed of going to Texas because they had such good football program but I immediately fell in love with Oregon and just um you know everything they had to offer Austin Stadium is so magical and the weather I love it up there you can't um you can't beat the fan base Duck fans are incredible so it was an interesting decision and I'm so glad I picked Oregon because that season 2010 you know we went undefeated in the regular season and then lost in the national championship in 2011 to Auburn but uh Texas didn't have a very good year. So it was like, it all worked out, but it was kind of funny. I didn't think that way. You, you're very sports-based. I, I listened to your podcast a few times before you came on the show, the After Orange Slices oh, yeah. podcast. Very, very fantastic. We can talk about that a little Thank bit later. You. Um, so you're, you're, you're aware of what's going on sports-wise. Being on the sideline for a national championship game, from a cheerleader's perspective, you're representing, obviously, the, the University of Oregon. What what was that like? Being aware and, and knowing what's where you're at and what's going on, what was that like just as a sports fan? Yeah, I mean, I've got to tell you, there's so much hype that goes into it. I don't even think people realize you're there. Like, so for this game, um, the national championship for in 2011 was in um, Glendale, Arizona. So you're in Phoenix for like 
over a week. You're there preparing, you know, doing all the pep rallies, doing all the fan signings. Um, you've got performances, you've got media days. There's so many things that go into it that entire week. It's not just like a normal game. Oh, where you fly in, you know, you cheer the game and then you go home like that night or the next day. The thing is Oregon lost that national championship game. I'm, I'm, I know you're aware of that. So, so yeah. So, but that's my point is that there's so much hype that goes into it that entire week. And then all of a sudden to build all of that up and then to lose that game was just extremely, not just sad, but it, it was so draining. You're just exhausted um, because you've put your heart and soul into this team. And so, um, you know, it was just not a good way to go out. Obviously, um, you know, Cam Newton was the quarterback for Auburn at the time. So, um, you know, <laughs> Auburn wasn't that good the next year. But, um, you know, playing an SEC team, Pac-12, most Pac-12 teams hadn't done that in a while. And, um, you know, it was obviously just such a surreal experience. But it was definitely heartbreaking. And that was really hard to come back from. So, you know, we still haven't. We still have not been able to to win the big one. I want to start there just because I was curious. That's the question I want to get out of the way first. I want to go back to your, your childhood for a second. Growing up, okay. um, did you know you wanted to be involved in sports? And, and how did you know being a cheerleader and performing and dancing come into that? Yeah. So, yeah. So I grew up dancing all my life, um, but I was a huge sports fan because sports was a way that my dad and I really bonded and my dad, my dad, my brother and I, um, you know, college game day was something specifically that has always had a really big place in my heart. You know, every Saturday morning he would put us in the car and we would go get bagels at, you know, 5 a.m. in the morning bagels and smoothies and Starbucks and come home. And then we would sit on the couch all day and we would watch ESPN college game day. Um, so that was, you know, my earliest memories of watching college football. So college football has always had a special place in my heart. Um, you know, and I grew up here in Southern California. So we actually grew up going to UCLA games, um, my entire life. So I knew that I wanted to be a part of the college football scene. And like, it's just, it's so magical. If people don't know the culture, there's nothing like it. Um, so I just knew that I wanted to be a part of it. And I knew that mirroring my two passions of dancing and cheering with um, being on the sports sidelines and being such a huge sports fan was the best way for me to go about that. What's the earlier um, experience in your life that, that really made you want to pursue a career in, in, in dancing? Um, one particular experience. Yeah. Like what were some of the early experiences where you, um, where you figured out like, this is something I want to do. And the fact that like, yeah. I'm good enough to do this. Yeah. I think, well, cause I was super clumsy and, um, you know, I'd just be running around the house constantly and my mom needed a way for me to calm down. And so she put me in dance class and all, um, so dance was a great way for me to get out all my aggression and like my physical, my need to be physical, a physical child, but not hurt anybody. So, um, you know, most people who hear that think that's so funny because they think that I'm not very physical or aggressive, but I totally used to be. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of how it all started. And then I started getting really good. I was dancing with, you know, kids who were 10, 10 years older than I was. And that's when I really started realizing, okay, I'm really good at this, you know, and I first was told, okay, like 
should, you know, I go to a different high school. I was going to leave and, and go train to be a ballerina in, in high school. But instead I decided to stay in my normal high school and, um, pursue the commercial dance route, which commercial just means, um, basically the song leaning and cheerleading route, um, the more contemporary side. So I really decided once I was just winning a lot of awards at competitions, cause I grew up a competitive dancer. I was winning nationals. I was junior champion. Um, and that, that's kind of when I realized, wow, like this is something that I can do. I think I can make an impact. Um, not just, you know, in my own life, but I can probably do something with this career. So that's, that's kind of how I realized there wasn't really one particular experience. It was kind of like, it just felt like it was something that I needed to do. And I was just continuing on what I've been doing all my life. So with, with that being said, going through this, this whole childhood and, and into your teenage years, dancing, going to the university of Oregon, doing that and, and being on that large of stage, doing that big of games, explain the process of transitioning to being an NFL cheerleader. Like there obviously there's an NFL draft for all these college kids that go mm-hmm. play in the NFL. What's the, the experience like having to go from college and then pursuing an NFL cheerleading position? College. Um, you know, Oregon is on the quarter system, so we don't graduate until June. So I had to miss my college graduation. I had to graduate early, which I was planning on doing anyway, but I was hoping that I could just stay, um, you know, I stay throughout the spring and graduate with my friends. But um, because most NFL cheerleading uh, auditions are in March, April, May, you have to be able to be in that city and ready to go 100% dedicated, um, no matter what, like they don't care if, you know, you haven't finished your degree yet, whatever, like you, you are theirs if you make the team. So I made sure that I graduated early from Oregon. Um, so I basically graduated a semester early and, um, knew that that was something that I needed to do. And I, you know, obviously didn't get to walk with all my friends, but I obviously don't regret that. Like, yeah, I left early, but it was the best decision that I made because um, I, all my friends were so supportive of it. And um, it was hard work, man. Like, I, I got to tell you, the transition was not easy. Like, there were days where I was crying because I just kind of felt like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, is this, you know, I, all my college friends aren't here anymore. You know, this is something totally new. And it's cutthroat. You know, you're constantly being told that, you need to slim down your legs. You need to eat this. You went up a pound this week. So what happened? You know, a lot of, a lot of other things go into it with your appearance, just besides being a good dancer. So, um, there's so, there were so, so I can imagine that gets, um, frustrating and a little degrading. Uh, did you ever feel that during your, your time with the chargers? Yeah, no, for sure. But it, I don't think it was just with them. Um, I think just being in that, college cheerleading professional cheerleading world um that's something that you have to think about for such a long time body image really gets to you um everything you eat everything you do you're constantly looking in the mirror you know you're wearing um not that much clothing it's it's it gets to your head so you really can't help but um think about it and i mean i i applaud anyone who's ever not thought about it, but I mean, a lot of girls I think are lying if they haven't. Um, but you know, like for me, I always grew up, um, 
a big eater and I was always encouraged to eat a lot because I was really skinny when I was younger so everybody thought it was really amazing that I could eat so much and such um and then I later in my life I developed thyroid disease I developed Hashimoto's disease which is an autoimmune disease and I all of a sudden gained 35 pounds and this is the beginning of college so um luckily it was in the springtime and so I didn't have any sports to cheer for in that time. Like it was kind of March time. So it, that was sort of our off season. Um, but that was really, really hard for me. And that was when I felt like things really took a turn for the worst for me. Um, I really started worrying so much about my weight, um, the way I looked. And then I developed I, a binge eating disorder and which kind of started in high school, but it got worse through college and it got worse through the NFL um, where basically I think people don't realize with binge eating that it can actually become a disorder because people think, Oh, you're eating. That's good. But you're eating so much to the point where you're making yourself sick because your anxiety is so hard. And um, I've got a lot of mental health issues. I've dealt with depression my entire life. And the way that I've dealt with my depression or any social anxiety is I eat. So anytime even that I was stressed about a game coming up, instead of taking the necessary steps of positivity to get ready for a game and look good in my uniform, I would eat. I would get a whole pizza and stuff the pizza box underneath my bed, you know, hoping I could hide it from my roommates. You know, I'd go to the store, get an entire box of cookies scarf down the entire box of cookies um it took a lot for me to get over that I've only been um I've probably only been healthy and not binge eating for about three years which is amazing and I can't even tell you like the differences because um you know, I used to not know what it was like to feel full because I would just constantly keep eating and then I would go for periods of time without eating because I was so worried about how I looked in my uniform. And then with thyroid disease, with Hashimoto's, you naturally just gain weight. You can't help it. And um, so I literally had a medical condition where I would just gain weight. And so our trainer in the NFL would say, you know, because we got had weekly weigh-ins, our trainer would be like, oh, what's going on? You went up a pound this week. Well, okay, for one, most people go up a pound just from drinking some water. And I'm not, t- I'm telling you when girls would literally not drink water that day, just so the scale would go down. It was so ridiculous the pressures that we were under, even though your body might've looked good, but it was like a mental mind F. I'm kidding you. Like you were just, because I don't know, because of looking at the numbers, you know, I never step on a scale anymore for that, for that reason alone. Um, and I've also never felt better about myself. I've never been healthier. It's crazy to think that now it's so much easier for me to manage my weight and for me to manage my eating disorder. And like now that I'm actually not cheerleading anymore, just because I'm not under those pressures. So I think a lot of girls do deal with that and you don't realize it while you're in it. Um, because also like we see eating disorders as, oh, anorexia or bulimia. And yeah, a lot of girls that I knew just didn't eat or were on extreme, extreme, extreme diets. And I was good about not doing that. I was never like 
an extreme dietist, but I would know like, oh, okay, I got a fast, do you know, during this point because I ate so many donuts here or whatever. Um, and that was hard. Like it was mentally, mentally draining. And I feel like that took away from the passion that I had for dancing, you know, all that I loved for being out on the football field. So that, that was kind of the really hard part of it. And a big reason why I stepped away. Um, but I'm also really glad that I did it. And I can also be a advocate for younger women who, um, see the signs early on and, you know, we can figure out a way to fix it and, um, figure out a way to manage it because I think that's super important. That, that had to be incredibly difficult. Yeah, it was hard. <laughs> I, just hearing you talk about that, that doesn't get talked about a lot. Like we, we, we talk about yeah. other issues with mental health, but we, we don't really talk about what a lot of dancers and cheerleaders have to the, the, the kind of stress they're under to maintain what makes them compete at that level and, and, and be mm-hmm. where they are. Um, mm-hmm. is there a way that we can better regulate that? Is there something that needs to be implemented in those types of environments that make sure to one, protect the dancers and, and two, create a, a more safe environment? Well, I think that, you know, most professional sports leagues are doing a great job at realizing, okay, mental health is an issue. You know, Kevin Love being so proactive, you know, with explaining that he's got mental health issues, really got the NBA on board with bringing on um, mental health coaches and doctors on every single team. I think that that needs to be implemented within every single sports program, whether it's an amateur program, um, you know, dealing with younger kids or it's the Olympics. Um, I just think that especially with dancers and cheerleaders, when you're dealing with body image issues, looking in the mirror constantly, um, seeing pictures of yourself on sportsillustrated.com with, you know, oh, you bent over, there's a roll, um, trying to understand, okay, that's not really my fat, that's just muscles that, you know, relax and contract. Um you need some support system there. And we didn't have any of that mental support system. And I think that we had so many other um, kinds of resources to use, like doctors and and such, but not the mental side. And that, I think, is what we need to bring in. So if we could have a mental health coach, a mental um, mental conditioning coordinator, somebody. You know, I recently talked to Lauren Johnson, who is one of the mental conditioning coaches for the Yankees and um she just has some amazing bits of wisdom and has dealt with her own her own issues that she has overcome as a former college athlete but she's able to help these guys really dive in and deal with such a mental sport that is baseball so with something like dancing and cheerleading at such a high level I think that you need somebody constantly there um you know whether it's at every practice or whether it's just once a week to have a resource, have a therapist, have somebody that they can reach out to confidentially, because that's also the issue with um, these teams with so many women is everything encouraged, like you're constantly encouraged to communicate and talk. So if you're not talking about your problems or how you're feeling, everybody takes you, everybody considers you a bitch. Um, You know, and that's just naturally how women are is they just assume things. If you're not communicating, then 
women are going to assume. Um, and I don't think that's what we should be doing as women. We should be each other's cheerleaders. We should be cheering each other on, helping each other find resources when we need it, and encouraging e- each other when we're dealing with depression, anxiety, eating disorders, to get help. It's not something that we should be making fun of or just saying, oh, yeah, she's depressed. Um, I just I don't want to be around her because that's what happened to me because a lot of people saw I was going through really hard, difficult things, saw my depression was really deep, and they just didn't want to be around me because they didn't want to help because it was too hard to be my friend, even though I was a really, really good friend. So, um, yeah, so I think that that's something that's really important is kind of teaching each other the skills to cope and help a friend reach out when somebody else is in need. Um, and also just having like a, a doctor, a coach, a therapist, somebody there that is a confidential resource for women. That went a lot deeper than I thought we would go. That was no, yeah. <laughs> that was uh, that was good though. It's it's something that needs to be talked about, and needs to be addressed, because yeah, it's not often talked about. We we talk about professional athletes with it all, like Kevin Love, like you said, but we talk about people in the in the the big starlight media who deal with this stuff and they've come out about it, but we don't really talk about people who have to look like a certain way for a living and the pressures of that and everything. So, um. Thank you for opening up about that and, and providing that yeah. for, for someone who may be listening doing with that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, of course it takes time. And that's the thing is I want anyone, you know, whoever listens to me talk about this to understand I, it, it wasn't easy for me to just start talking about this. It took years for me to realize, okay, what was the issue? How can I overcome this? It took years of therapy, you know, and now I'm finally okay opening up about it, but I used to be embarrassed and that's normal and that's natural. And I just want everybody to know that, you know, that's human, but we have resources to use and just, just reach out when you need help. We, we talked about the bad sides of cheerleading in the NFL and at the university mm-hmm. of Oregon. And we talk about, your best experience with the San Diego Chargers? Yeah. I mean, gosh, there's so many good experiences. I mean, just to be on the field next to future hall of famers, you know, you're next to Philip Rivers every single Sunday. And then, you know, playing, playing in this, that division, you've, you're playing Peyton Manning. I mean, he's obviously not on the, on the Broncos anymore, but playing Peyton Manning twice a year so him coming to Qualcomm and just being standing right by you um Tom Brady coming to Qualcomm like they're just these legends that you are standing by that most people never get to meet in their life um and obviously never not that I ever had a conversation with the two of those guys but just just being there and being in the presence of legends in the making um being in the presence of history being made is unbelievable and also I'm just so glad that I got to experience the San Diego Chargers while they were still there um because obviously now they are in LA which is amazing and I think it's great and uh especially because you know as things just grow with sports entertainment is a huge side of it so um San Diego wasn't really doing them any favors but I'm so glad that I got to experience the um you know the last bit um of that dynasty. So, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing like being a part of the NFL. Um, the NFL is bigger than anybody could ever imagine. And yeah, I mean, there's not really one particular game. I guess I'd have to say that any primetime game, like especially like Monday night football, 
those games are just magical. You know, nighttime games um, with the primetime lights, the primetime feel, the primetime cameras is just is is pretty pretty surreal. So you know, anytime you get a game like that is pretty special and pretty memorable. Was there any situations that happened with um, fans or, or maybe even players, whether it be opposing or on the Chargers, that um, that they advanced or, or made any advances at you? Because I know those stories have come out with no. some other teams like that. Um, yeah, so no. I mean, the, the great thing about the league is they're very good at protecting um, – the players are very good at protecting the cheerleaders, and that all starts with when you sign a contract, you honor your you honor that contract by saying you won't fraternize with players, and it's the same thing you won't fraternize with cheerleaders. So um, there's kind of that boundary that is set early on. So while you're on the team, you are not allowed to talk to anybody in the league. Um, one thing that was hard for me though is that you know obviously I went to Oregon, so I have a lot of friends you know that played in the NFL. So like I had one. <laughs> Like one of my good friends um, who played for the Bears at the time when they when the Bears played uh, the Chargers, and I think it was a Monday Night Football game, um, we were walking around the field, and, you know, he was injured, so he was coming in the locker room before everybody. He saw me, and he put his hands out, like, for a fist bump, and I'm walking by through with my line, which is, like, this, one of the specific groups that you walk with of um, your team, and... I knew because, you know, obviously you got to follow the rules. I knew, like, I, I just yelled at him. I'm like, I can't do that. And because I just freaked out in the moment because, um, you know, if anybody saw me even making eye contact or giving him a high five, a hug, whatever, that somebody would report me, and which is just ridiculous. But, like, I remember I had to get permission one time just to even from my coach just – and I was like, oh, you know, one of my friends plays for this team. I want to hang out with his family. Like, is that okay? And she she gave me permission and said yes. But she just said, make sure that all of the girls know and understand, blah, blah, blah. And it's just so ridiculous. It's so dumb. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that stuff happens. So it's just I, – I understand it. But it's also dumb when you have, like, a prior friendship with people that you have to, at the for the time, like, kind of put – freezes on on those relationships right that's uh, an interesting thing and i i i was hesitant in asking because i know those those situations get kind of uh you know you can get get sketchy and it's not yeah. something a lot of people want to talk about but uh those especially you going to oregon like you said you have friends in the league that, that's an interesting thing i didn't know that i didn't know you couldn't talk to anyone yeah associated with yeah you know, but obviously you know once you're once you're off the team it's not an issue anymore so i mean that's kind of always how you think of it is like well it's just a little temporary thing so i want to talk about your on-air stuff now what's your oh, cool. like the the next chapter the chapter you're in right now mm-hmm. uh you got your start in palm springs mm-hmm. you covered high school football pga tour like a super bowl at one point um when did you know you wanted to be a um a broadcaster a journalist so I mean I knew like at a very young age like I was telling you before um college football was always something that was super important to me and I just knew watching you know the broadcasters on television during games I knew that that was something I wanted to do and I just always loved to talk and I've always loved to talk about sports so I figured wow this is a way that I can um 
marry the two of those things. And I, I've just always loved being a journalist. Um, when I was in elementary school, I started my own newspaper and I passed it around and like, I literally made the entire newspaper. And when I didn't type it up, like, you know, I, I wrote everything out and I drew columns and, and everything. And, um, and so I, I've always wanted to be a journalist since a really young age. I wasn't sure if I actually wanted to be on camera or not. And I think that's kind of the great thing about what um, journalism is, is that there are so many mediums that you can explore. Like, don't hold yourself back just to, you know, on camera, just to radio, just to print. Um, I think that now with this multimedia movement, you know, we can do so many things. And so that that's kind of what I realized is I'm like, you know what, I... I want to do so many things. I want to explore and I don't want to hold myself back. And, um, so it was super early on. I, you know, I majored in broadcast journalism and I, I knew that I wanted to be a journalist. Um, so I just was, you know, ready to roll and explore whatever opportunities came my way. You are truly a member of this whole PAC 12 ideal with a bachelor's degree from the university of Oregon and a master's degree from USC. I yeah. respect the West Coast bias. That is fantastic. Very true. Yeah. <laughs> Your games come on at 1030. But yes, yes, I know. I know. I feel bad for people out there, but it's also like college game day out here starts way too early. So I don't feel that bad. Yeah, it's very dark. It's very, very dark when they go to uh, Eugene or, or anywhere else. Yeah. But um, they haven't been to Eugene in a while. They've been good. Yeah. But anyways, uh, but covering like the Super Bowl – like you went, like you were on the sideline at a national championship game, Super Bowl Fifty at San Francisco. It's a milestone, uh, trademark game for the NFL between the Denver Broncos, a, a team you've seen play, I'm sure, plenty of times, against the Carolina Panthers, a, a guy you got to watch in college, Cam Newton. What was covering a Super Bowl like, especially in California? Well, I wasn't. Just to clarify, also, I wasn't on the sideline. I was in the stadium. Um, like in one of the press boxes, but um, it was unreal. But being there for media week the entire week and being on Radio Row and seeing these players, like, and, you know, obviously this is right before Peyton Manning retired. Um, it was incredible just seeing the the competition that went into this because there's this sort of magic that happens with the Super Bowl um, that everyone just sees as, you know, okay, all the fan stuff, you know, everything going on. But what the players are enduring as far as getting ready for the game is a whole nother beast. Um, so it was really amazing and incredible to um, be a part of, you know, interviewing with the media and, and just be in that. That's when I really realized, like, okay, this is something I want to do. Um, you know, and I I just knew, like, okay, I'm a, I'm a part of this. You know, I love sports. I can do this, um, you know, even though this is early on in my career and I'm not that great yet, um, you know, I just got to keep pushing through. And if I keep being credible, if I keep networking, if I keep asking the right questions, you know, I can do this. So that's kind of what that that Super Bowl was like for me was it really reminded me like, okay, this is this is where I want to be. This is my path. Um, so that was more of what that moment was like for me, honestly. That's just a wild thing. I was at that Super Bowl next year. That was my first oh, little media okay. gig, the Atlanta and New England. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as someone from Louisiana, as a Saints fan, that Falcons collapse was very enjoyable. 
Yeah. And I loved that a lot. It was probably, <laughs> other than my Super Bowl, Super Bowl 44, where they beat Peyton Manning and the Colts, Super Bowl 51 is probably one of my favorite Super Bowls ever. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Just to see him lose the game in that fashion. Oh, it was wonderful. Anyways, this is not about this is not about my Super Bowl experiences. This is <laughs> this is about you. Um, so, what is the ceiling for you with this? Where where do you want to go? What is the end goal? And um, what ultimately what do you want to do? You know, I always used to have this idea of okay, I want to be an ESPN broadcaster. I want to help. I want to be on college game day. You know, I used to have this extreme um, play-by-play path that needed to be completed. Um, and now, I mean, as these last couple of years have gone by, I realize that there are so many other opportunities that I need to explore because sometimes I really think that God puts things in our path, puts people in our path for a reason. And sometimes it's not what we wanted or what we planned for. But we just need to give it a chance. And that's kind of what happened with the podcast. And I realized that, oh, my gosh, I'm able to talk more about what I want now than I was covering regional sports, Um, you know, and I'm able to make more of a difference. I'm able to connect with more people worldwide. Um, You know, it's it's crazy. Like there's people in 30 plus countries listening to the podcast, um, almost every single state listening to the podcast and, you know, the podcast is not even that old. So it's, it's really incredible just to think like there is no ceiling for me and I'm not stopping, um, at anything. I'm just going to take every opportunity that I have, any opportunity that anybody throws my way, I'm going to, you know, take it and run with it and do make my own journey. Um, because I really think there's no right or wrong way to go about being um, a journalist. So I really think that we need to all get over like, oh, I want to be an ESPN broadcaster or whatever. I love ESPN. It's great. But there are so many ways to be a part of the media, to tell your story, to write, to read, to storytell, to connect, to talk, um, to just be a part of the sports movement that is today. And, um, I never realized that, like, I never realized that there are so many ways that I could go about this. And sometimes it's just, it's a different path, but I'm so glad that I'm on it and I don't know where it's going to take me, but I'm so excited to see where it goes. Let's talk about your podcast. All right. It's very good. Thank you. It's, it's refreshing to hear that type of conversation um because you touched on that i would love so that i listened to recently was about andrew luck retiring and and Mm -hmm. gronkowski endorsing uh cbd and to hear someone who's obviously very knowledgeable about sports very aware what's going on talk in the manner that you do about it and the guest you have on like you you mentioned the conditioning coordinator the mental conditioning coordinator of the new york yankees uh, like those type of conversations don't really get heard a lot on mainstream news and, and mainstream sports media outlets. So to mm-hmm. to provide that to people, it's fantastic. And there's no no wonder why people are listening all over the United States and 30 different countries because it's it's brilliant content, 
it's, it's fantastic and I've, I've enjoyed listening to it. I'm going to continue to listen Thank to you. it after the show. Obviously, I wasn't made aware about it until I reached out for this interview, but um, the After Orange Slices podcast, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, I'm assuming, all the yeah. platforms. Um, yeah. What started that idea and was it, it has the show evolved into what you thought it was going to be? Oh, I mean, definitely not. It has evolved into so much more. I honestly had no idea what I was doing in the first place. Um, I realized I want to start a podcast. I want to talk about athlete issues, but what the hell does that even mean? Um, (laughs) So it took me a while to figure out like what my niche was going to be because, you know, just in the media in general, but now in the podcasting world, because it's growing so much, um, you got to stand out. So you got to do things that make you different and figure out what's going to make people want to listen because people turn you off after the first 30 seconds if they don't like your voice, if they don't like what you're talking about. Um, you know, if, if your audio is going in and out because you're driving somewhere through a tunnel and recording it. And I'm serious. People do that. And it drives what? me nuts. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't understand. But, um, but I, so I set out and I was like, you know what, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to make this podcast so legit. So I decided, you know, I recently moved back in with my parents, which, you know, I swore I would never do, but I did it and I'm honestly fine. Like whatever. And, um, I turned my childhood playroom into my podcasting studio and I basically, you know, got all my foam, um, you know, got my great mic all of my audio equipment and created my podcasting studio. So I felt like I had this really legit atmosphere to create something special. So I didn't just feel like this was some hobby. Um, I decided, you know what, if I'm going to do this, I'm going all in, I'm going balls to the walls, full force. And whatever that means, um, it's going to involve in evolve into something that my guests love that my guests almost make. And I knew after the first couple episodes, I would kind of figure that out. So I knew, um, you know, I want to talk to athletes about something. So it took me a couple weeks to kind of figure out like, okay, what was that going to be? And I realized, you know, okay, what if I had an issue with in life? And so I realized, okay, I've had a hard time transitioning into other things outside of my sport. So how can I relate that to others? And I just decided, you know, I'm going to take that in the first couple episodes and run with it. And all of a sudden, the first couple episodes took off and people started reaching out to me with their stories and wanting to share and wanting to come on the podcast. And that's how it really evolved into something so much bigger than I ever could have imagined. And that's just amazing. And I love that. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I'm not kidding you. It is something even bigger than I ever could have imagined that it would have grown into. So I'm so happy. Our stories with that are very very different on how we decided we wanted to start doing it but uh-huh. um it's so similar like like this podcast i didn't think it'd take off and the show was initially something different and then we uh took a couple months off rebranded reformatted the show and now we're doing this but to, to hear yeah. to hear other people talk about how this is not what they expected their show to be or, or their job to be what it was and then them love that even more. It's mm-hmm. it's really refreshing to hear that from other people because it's, it's a very yeah. lonely feeling when you 
when you go and you start because it's just you talking into a microphone and you don't know if people are going to listen or not. Yeah. So it's a, oh, uh, it's, it's very scary and very lonely feeling. So, uh, in the concept of your show is, it's brilliant. It's, it's so different and you did a fantastic job making it stick out among all these sports podcasts. Cause there's a lot of dumb dumbs out there talking to microphones about totally. sports. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So, and I just, I think it's brilliant. So great job with that. Thank you. Yeah. And I mean, it's been so fun. And I think that that's what's most important is it's got to be fun. And like you were just saying, you know, I really didn't know, okay, is this what I'm going to want to do? Or am I going to want to just keep this as a side gig and still search for other TV jobs? Because, you know, I recently left TV, but I'm, I'm like, I am loving this so much. And then this is going to lead into something else. You know, who knows? Um, but I feel like I'm able to interview cooler people now than before. And I'm able to have longer conversations, more fulfilling conversations than I was when I was running around, you know, covering games. The conversations range from 15 minutes to 55 minutes. Exactly. Exactly. You can do what you want. That's the brilliant thing about the internet. You can just do whatever you want. And there's no, there's obviously rules and regulations, but there's really not any time constraints about what you can do. That's why I love my job so much. But, um, so is this your full-time job now? Podcasting? Yeah. So, yep. So now this is my full-time thing. Um, I just decided I was like, you know what, I'm just going to take a leap of faith and make this my full-time thing. And I am so happy I did because the response has been incredible and things are growing and I just can't wait to see what 2020 has to bring. And I'm just like, bring it on. You know, obviously anything, when you're starting a business, it's hard. Um, but I am so ready. I'm so loving it. And I love that, you know, I'm not failing. And that's what I think is the most exciting part is, you know, when you're first starting a business out, like you're going to fail at things. And yeah, there's certain things that I'm, I've failed at, but right now with the podcast, like I'm, I'm staying afloat and I'm swimming and people are loving it. I'm getting so much positive feedback and I haven't gotten one negative feedback, one negative thing from anybody. So, um, which oh, is I unbelievable. I can't believe that. That'll, so. that'll change as you get bigger. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> that's, no, what, that's the thing, yeah. though. I'm so used to negative feedback. So it's like, it's crazy. You know, like I, I'm just, I'm keep asking people. I'm like, please like be more critical. See, so. like that, that's something that you're better equipped to handle than I was. Cause I started this when I was, I was, uh, 16. So, uh-huh. oh wow. Yeah. Not great <laughs> when people say you suck and like send you very, very mean DMS about how like this thing that you created is just awful. And like, that doesn't feel good, but you've obviously had enough life experience to know how to deal with negative feedback. Me, when I first yeah. started out a few years ago was, I was not equipped to handle it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but you making this your full-time gig, that's how you make it good. Like I, yeah. when I was started, I was in high school. So, you know, you would go to school for seven hours and then I'd have to come home, do homework, do all these different things. And you had maybe three, four hours at most, if you didn't sleep the allotted amount of time you're supposed to sleep as a teenager, but you making this full-time gig, you have graphics, you have like cool Instagram posts that like hint at like, Hey, the podcast link is in the bio and your website and everything. 
that's how you make it. You, you, it's branding. It's, it's pushing yourself out there, putting yourself on, in front of eyes that normally wouldn't see you. And mm-hmm. now that I've graduated high school, I'm in college now. It's, it's so much easier for me to do that. And I, I mean, I'm looking at what you're doing as I'm starting to promote more things. And you've set a great example. I don't know if you've had like if you talk to people about how to do it or whatever. You just figured it out. But what what you're doing is is great and putting yourself out there and making these graphics and and making your podcast so easy to find and for people to really grasp what's going on in an Instagram post and making them want to go listen to the full thing. Like it's it's yeah, it's incredible. Thank you. Thanks. That means a lot because I'll be honest. Well, I mean, I will tell you. Um, like I go to I'll go to podcasting conferences I'll you know join like business groups I just I just it's all internet I do a lot of internet research so I don't really have like anybody who has taught me anything really but um yeah I just mostly will just I just do a ton of research um but I you know it was hard for me with Instagram because I really did not want to get back on Instagram because I started this new Instagram like for the podcast and I deleted my old Instagram um, because Instagram was such a negative, it was such a negative space for me when I was dealing with a lot of my mental health struggles. And um, I'm so glad that I just decided to quit cold Turkey and I was off Instagram for two years, which to most people sounds insane, but it was the best thing I ever did. And now I feel like I'm able to fully use Instagram as a business tool, um, not get sucked into all of the negative parts of social media. And I'm telling you, like, it was the best thing that I did was just start a new Instagram. Um, and yeah, I totally do not have as many followers as my old Instagram used to have, but I think that that's almost more motivating. It makes me work harder. So I think that that's kind of the best part is I'm not writing off of this old, you know, following or, or this old fame that like I had, I'm having to work harder and I'm having to work past, um, all of these blocks. I'm having to work past, um, Oh, okay. She was an Oregon cheerleader. She was an NFL cheerleader, which yeah, at the time was a big deal, but now I'm old news. Um, so that makes me work even harder because I know what I can do. I know what I can be, but people just don't know that. So you got to get yourself out there. Do you feel like what you've done in the past with Oregon and the Chargers and, and your television stints, do you feel like that's helped people find you and uh, that ultimately bring people to listen to your show? Um, a little bit, but I don't think so much find me. Like I, I wish that that would help a little bit more, but like I'm saying, like I was just saying, um, because I'm a former cheerleader people aren't as interested as like the current, but people are very interested when I post, you know, pick current pick, I mean, um, old cheer pictures, you know, that will get people interested and such. And, you know, I don't want people to just see me as a cheerleader. I want them to see me as, you know, a great journalist. So that's always kind of been what I wanted to brand myself as is that I'm this multifaceted smart woman who has multiple degrees. You know, I have my master's, I am smart. I am good at my job. I'm not just here to look pretty. I want to educate people. I want to tell stories. Um, and I think that that's kind of always something that I've battled. So I never just wanted to, you know, post a picture of me in a bikini and get myself 400 likes and, you know, a bunch of an 800 more, uh, followers. That's, that's 
worthless to me. Like to me, I'd rather have 500 amazing dedicated followers than 25,000 followers who are just there to look at pictures of me, you know, because I'm a pretty girl. So, and again, to me, that makes me work harder. That's an interesting perspective because a lot of people have it, would love it to have it the other way. Just be attractive for a living and have a bunch of followers. <laughs> like that's it's great. But I know I, it's it's crazy. I, I know so many people. I know it's it's crazy what our society has turned into. I was gonna ask about that though to, to wrap it up, but you kind of answered it before I could even get it out because you're you know you know how this works. You know how interviews go. That was like the big finish. <laughs> like, do you have that issue a lot of the time? But um, does that still happen to you though? Like even though you've been out for so long that like you have this incredible resume, you have a, a master's degree from a major university. Like that still happens to you. It's just, you get, Oh yeah, you're, yeah. You're just really attractive. And that's all people see. Oh yeah. No, for sure. And you'll get DMS like that still. And it's like, Oh, you're a cheerleader, blah, blah, blah. Like whatever. And I'm just like, no, see past that. And so, um, yeah, no, that happens all the time. And I just, it's, I mean, it's laughable now. And I mean, most people who know me know that I'm so much more than that. And I'm just so not stereotypical to what people um, idealize with, you know, NFL cheerleading. So, um, so I just, I try not to worry about it. I'm more just like laugh at it. Like I laugh at the DMs. I always have laughed at, you know, the funny criticism things like whenever I'd get emails when I was working at my last station whenever I'd get funny emails about you know mean women who would say like I looked like a bimbo or something or whatever um would email in about my appearance it's just like laughable to me or that I had a mustache um you know it's just funny like and I just think that says more about somebody else's character than my own and that's really where I think social media is very negative is that um you know it brings out a lot of that but that also gives us an opportunity to become better people and say hey okay I am bigger than this I am not gonna let that bother me and I'm gonna do what's best for me I am gonna just laugh about it and decide to be the person that I want to be and people can see it or not and whoever does see it that's the people that I'm gonna let enter into my life I want to wrap this up with this big question, then we'll take you to the lightning round. I'll explain what that is in a second. It's very gimmicky, but okay. th- this big, this big thing um, that you, this, the question that you stole from me, <laughs> pretty much for winning your answers. <laughs> um, is there a way to minimize that? Like, are cheerleading uniforms just too revealing, or, or like not enough? Is there a way to minimize that in the current climate in which we, which we're in right now? You know, I no, I don't think that. I think that that's somebody again. I think that that's a personal issue that people are dealing with. Like if if someone else has a problem with it, that says more about them. I think that um, women should be allowed to wear what they want to wear. They should be allowed to share as much show as much skin as they want. And if that means that a woman wants to post, you know, an almost naked photo on her Instagram, great. That's not my, that's not what I want to do, but I think that everybody should be allowed to do what 
they want if that makes them feel good about themselves. And I think that that's what we need to realize is that whatever makes us feel good is what matters. Doesn't matter what anyone else says. And, you know, I've been, I've been in the situation where, you know, I've been called all these names and a slut. And, you know, even when, uh, right after I left Oregon, a committee tried to get the Oregon cheerleading program kicked off of um, campus and kicked out out of the athletic department because they were saying that we were instigating rape, the rape culture on campus because a couple, um, I think a couple basketball players had, had raped, uh, had raped two girls on campus. And because of our dances at the basketball games, there was a committee saying that we were the reason rape was happening on campus. So I just think that, you know, things like that, that again says so much more about somebody else than, you know, me or you or whatever. And again, I just think whatever you do is your prerogative and let people do what they want to do. Don't censor. I just think, you know, it's, it's the same way with free speech, let people wear what they want and don't body shame people. Um, so that, that's kind of how I see it. That's an interesting perspective coming from from someone who used to be in those positions and and and, and do that, um, but I yeah whatever whatever makes people feel good about themselves and that's you know a rarity now with with so much coming out about mental health is people not feeling great about themselves so exactly whatever it takes, um, the lightning round. This is how we end interviews around here. You can't leave unless you go through the lightning round. Five to seven random questions. Okay. Kind of get you open up a little bit. The, the, the thing is with this, you have to answer in 10 seconds or less. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I'll start with a more of a broad life one. What accomplishment are you most proud of? Oh, man. <laughs> um, uh, probably my master's degree. Pretty big school, USC. Was there Was there any, like... Because obviously you went to Oregon, you you have a lot of love for Oregon. Was there any um, weird feelings about going to another Pac-12 school? No, I mean not really. I mean my dad like did the same thing where he went to UCLA for his undergrad and then got his master's at USC. I mean everybody does that down here, so it's kind of I feel like irrelevant to where you you know. Yeah, I mean I just as an LSU fan, I probably wouldn't go to Auburn or Ole Miss, but. Hey, whatever, yeah, hey, whatever you like, can get it's, into. W- w- when it's your master's, like, it's just, it's different. I feel yeah. like it's, it's you're not a, really a fan of that school, really. It's just you're there, and it's close. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what is the most courageous thing you've ever done? Um, oh, my gosh. I think standing, standing up for myself, um, I used to get bullied really bad and I think standing up for myself in college and I, I think I, you know, standing up for myself against this bully and my coach, um, which put me in a bad situation, you know, I think was pretty courageous because I was, could have gotten kicked off the team, but standing up for myself and standing up for other people, um, I think is super important. That, okay. That was a much heavier answer to go into the next one <laughs> cake cake or pie <laughs> uh pie what kind of pie um well i like more like crisps so i would say like a rhubarb rhubarb crisp if they made a movie about bridges bridget case's life who would play you reese witherspoon 
no hesitancy on that. But we have the same birthday, and everybody tells me she's my <laughs> doppelganger. So, uh, what is one place you really, really want to go that you haven't been? Um, Italy. Anywhere specific, or just Italy? Um. Well, I really want to go to Sicily because that's where my family's from, and my parents have gone to Italy four times and never have taken me. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's your favorite kind of sandwich? Oh, um, BLT. If you could live a week in the past or a week in the future, which would it be? A week in the future. When in the future? Oh, I think, um, when I have kids and I have my house and I have my schedule down pat. That's fair. <laughs> Just trying to fast forward a little bit to get to this little yeah. rough part. Um, yeah. Last one. If you can represent the United States in any Olympic uh, event, whether it be summer or winter, which would it be? Um, the actual event? Yeah. Which event? Or summer or winter in the event? Okay. Probably winter, and I would say ice skating. That's one of the better lightning round performances in the history of the show, and this is 32 episodes in. That was oh, good. great. Awesome. Um, where can people get in touch with you at on the internet? Uh, so you can find me at my Instagram, which is at after orange slices, all three words, or on my Twitter, um, which is at Bridget Case underscore. And yeah, or you can go to my website at BridgetCase.com. Okay. Well, I thank you so much for joining the show. It was definitely an, an, an interesting conversation. You and I talked a little bit before about me not knowing where this is going to go. I feel like it ended in a really good place. Yeah, absolutely. No problem. And I think it was great. Thank you for being so open, too. Of course. No worries. Good luck with the podcast. Excited to see where it goes. Go listen to her podcast after you get through with this one. Um, after, or- after Orange Slices on anywhere you can find podcasts, same places that you listen to this podcast. Thank you so much, Bridget. And uh, for Bridget Case, I'm Riley James, if anyone cares.